Welcome to the Everyday Whiteness podcast series, The Uncomfortable Conversations on Well-Meaning White People. This podcast is primarily for white listeners. It's also a podcast for all listeners who unconsciously operate through a lens of whiteness, regardless of the body that you inhabit. It's not meant to shame you for being white or thinking white, but rather to support you in having more awareness of the impact of your whiteness as a cultural code of conditioning. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to the ongoing dismantling of internalized whiteness within myself and to make visible what is often rendered invisible in business, community, and culture. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, today's guest I want to introduce is Jamaica Carter. She's a community organizer and artist. Her work lies in the realms of spirituality, sacred sexuality, trauma-informed shadow work, and preserving indigenous practices. She has held space through ceremonies and facilitating workshops for the collective to heal and decolonize. Her mission is to return to what is sacred and to open up the minds to what is possible when we prioritize the legacy of Black, Brown, Indigenous people who have maintained this earth in relationship to spirit. Her works can be found on Instagram at Cleopatra, T-R-U-U-H, and it will be in the show notes. Well, Ms. Jamaica Carter, I have to say it is truly an honor and, and, and blessing and privilege to have you here today. Um, it's been several years since we've been connecting, except through the social media ether. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for opening the space and inviting me on. And I'm really excited. Um, so, yeah, I want to just preface for um, listeners that when I was teaching Kundalini Yoga, um, which is the culture that I was born and raised into, I was uh, living in Phoenix, which is the community I was raised in. And I was teaching Kundalini yoga classes. And this is how we originally met. And at that time, you know, the, the process in which I was teaching was really about reclaiming my own sexuality and, and being vocal about who I was, where I grew up and like mm -hmm. kind of this thing, sense of reclaiming my own space and my own sense of self. So I wanted to just preface that that's how we met kind of witnessing your explorations at that time and then the classes that I was teaching. And for this brief period of a couple months, we cross paths. And since then, it's just been on social media. And so again, it, it means a lot to witness your growth, um, to have you here, to even read your bio and to um, to feel you in, in a real grounded sense um, mm. where we're both quite um, evolved in our own inner revolution um, of becoming and getting to our own purposes. And I just appreciate that about witnessing you from a distance. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to be working through and figuring things out, you know, <laughs> figuring it out one day at a time. Yeah. And then it shows in the embodiment of, of who we are becoming, you know, day to day and in the work that we stand for. Right. Um, yes. So, you know, knowing that this conversation is about everyday whiteness and well-meaning white people and being that you're in the wellness trauma-informed space, um, I'm wondering if you can just start us off and 
give us a lens into what does well-meaning white people even mean to you when you hear that? Ooh. <laughs> Sounds loaded. <laughs> that was a loaded question. In my experience, I feel as if what I'm recognizing as well-meaning white people sometimes is, especially in regards to wellness and spirituality, there's a lot of things that are now trending or popular and in demand, right? And a lot of this stuff is ancient indigenous practices, things that have been going on for centuries that medicine women from different cultures, backgrounds, Black, Brown, and Indigenous people have kept sacred, and now they're being monetized and capitalized on and kind of abusing of the power of what these things can do and taking advantage of people who are in their illness, you know, who are not fully well or aware of themselves and the things that they need. So sometimes wellness or whiteness in the wellness industry, it just looks very like flamboyant, show-offish. Um, and also in my background in the artist industry, you know, I am in the beauty industry of doing hair and makeup and, you know, witnessing these trends of things that are happening. And I feel as if as a black woman, I'm like, dang, people are paying so much money to look like me. You know what I mean? Like to have my features and to wear these hairstyles or to have injections or, you know, all these surgeries and things like that. When my whole upbringing, those things were not celebrated. And now it's, it's, it's great. It's high fashion. It's, you know, what's, what's next in this magazine and everybody wants to do it. And it kind of feels like a big, erasure you know there's no credit be given to where it came from like oh this you know kim kardashian comes out with this whatever hairstyle boxer braids they've been mm -hmm. called something for years you know what i mean like and they don't really give any any form of acknowledgement to the traces or the lineage or what that means for us in the timelines and as a black woman or you know someone in the black community I feel as if this is something I see everywhere and I try really hard to like work through it and, you know, be open-minded and try not to have like my own stigmas about people. But sometimes I'm like, what, what's the intention behind this? Is there intention? Are we just doing things to do things at this point? Because that takes away the sacredness and the whole purpose of certain things being there in the first place and now instead of you know things being gate kept which I think could be a good thing is everything's let loose all the information all the data all of the you know things that were interconnected with it I think those things have lost and not importance because they're still very important and they do work and there's, you know, meaning behind them for each and every person. But I feel like sometimes whiteness has this unconscious mindset. Like I'm just, I'm doing it to do it because everybody's doing it and it looks and, good and, and it's, it's gotta trending. Get done, and it's got to get done and it's got to get on faster and then in a new way and a new version of it. Yes. I want to slow this down a little bit, if you don't mind here. Absolutely. Uh, because you just, you, you've brought so much here and 
when I say slow down, it's like to really feel the weight of what you're saying. Like mm. you're talking about whether it's leading ceremony or it's somatic class or it's a yoga class or it's um, sound healing or a cacao ceremony or let's name some other sacred practices that are ayahuasca being monetized. Yeah. Like yes. give us some more details in the, I want, I want, like I'm hearing it, what you're saying, mm-hmm. but it's going real fast and let's break it down to like the, you said it, it was around the culture of like erasing where it's coming from. It's like black women, indigenous women have been holding this wisdom within its own circles because it's not only not been celebrated, it's been shamed and it's been, it's been laws made against these things. And now whiteness gets to conveniently package it and then redish it out as if it's the latest and greatest discovery. Yes, regurgitated at this point, regurgitated. And I guess like something that I think about is ayahuasca. That's a sacred plant medicine that's indigenous to tribes in Southern America. I was very fortunate enough to be invited to a ceremony by a friend of mine. And at the time, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to enter this space because I've been in many spaces where, you know, I'm the only person of color and it feels, it feels weird. It feels so weird. I can't describe what the feeling is. Like, am I safe in the space to go through what I'm going to go through, such as deep expressions of grief or, you know, facing my shadows or doing this trauma work? Are they able to hold the space for me? And gracefully, I met this indigenous man named Quetzal, at the time. And he was like, you know, this medicine would not be showing up for you if you aren't ready for it. And if I didn't have that awareness from that person, I would have still been shaky in my decision. And when I showed up to this space, you know, there is predominantly white people because we are charging for people to experience this medicine, which I believe there should be an energy exchange. But who's leading these ceremonies? Why? Who gave you the rites of passage? You know what I mean? And then when I'm in the ceremony and I'm having my experience and I'm connecting with my ancestors, I'm going really deep and I feel everybody. I feel everybody in the room. You know, everybody's everything. And I think, you know, there's conversations of people saying, you know, I've been in I've been going to ayahuasca ceremonies 28 times or this many times. It feels so good. And da 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 da. now you're just doing it for the high and there's no integration. And you didn't take that medicine, you didn't take that wisdom and honor it, but now you're abusing this plant because it's easily convenient to you because you have the capital to invest in it. And then now you want to lead ceremony and take people through that experience, not having no clue what you're doing, having no clue what you're doing and doing damage to people who are trying to open up and be vulnerable. And that's that's a scary, that's a scary space. You don't know what you're getting into with people who are going into these experiences and utilizing these tools and these wisdoms and where are you where are you guiding me you know what i mean are you taking me backwards am i really going forward oh it's unity consciousness i do feel unity consciousness i do feel bliss i do feel happiness but i also feel like my ancestors are crying out to me sometimes like damn why are there no more why are there no 
Native American people in this room in this ceremony, doing these smudgings, doing these sweat ceremonies. You know what I mean? Why, where are those people? Where's the conversations of how you even learned this information? You know what I mean? And that education, there's this gap and I can feel the separation and I try to be like, all right, you know, I want to connect with people and I want to open my heart. But I do feel, I do feel separate sometimes from white people because they don't understand the weight of what I'm experiencing when I'm grieving. You know what I mean? Like you can't understand what I'm going through. And yes, you can be there, but the way that the space is held, there's still this uh, sense of ignorance. Like you would never know the weight of the things I have to break through in order to feel abundance mindset, to break through my scarcity mindset, you know, and think of how can I move forward for my lineage? Some people don't have to think about that. And that's like a privilege and be able to hold a room where you could say that in the room and not have the facilitator collapse. Right. <laughs> so this is like, this is where what, what you're saying of being able to go into a room, can I actually break out and break down and say the financial, the, the, the things that make your lived experience to break through that abundant mindset, to be able to speak that into the room. And not and have that room still be held holding you. Right. Without them being offended or or, you know, like I have to put my pain aside to prioritize the comfort of whiteness. That's something that I've been really reflecting on going through this process is like putting my pain aside and like pushing that aside so I can comfort you because you're uncomfortable with my uncomfortableness. And I have to go through that every day. You know, and it's like, dang, I want to connect. And I have a really interesting experience that I just like really cannot forget. And it was a time where I was going through a psychedelic experience and it was Martin Luther King, Martin Luther's King's Day. Mm -hmm. And I was out in Sedona with a group of white women and we're going to a vegan restaurant and you know, when you're on a psychedelic such as LSD, your mind's very open. My mind was really open. My heart was really open. And I just stopped and I thought for a moment, I'm like, wow, Martin Luther King marched on a bridge and I'm over here having a lunch with white women, four white women in a vegan restaurant. And I'm just like crying inside because I can't explain what that breakthrough did for me. Like just to think about that was not that long ago. That was literally this lifetime, my lifetime. I can still connect to that timeline as I'm existing right now, even though I am young. And just like facing myself, facing my separation from people. I'm like, they would never understand what it means, what it feels like to feel this like breakthrough of like, am I really connected? Are they really seeing me? Do they do they understand the depth of my experience in this moment, you know, going through this transition of we are becoming more aware of each other and being more socially conscious. But still, there's these intricate webs of details that don't really get spoken on or tapped into because people are only on the surface, you yes. know. Yes. Using language like unity, consciousness, abundance, mindset, heart, you know, uh, more of this that that bypasses the lived experience of the bodies that we inhabit. And Mm. so while on a soul level, these things are true on a material, mundane, earthly level, 
the experience isn't the same. And so like that battling what I hear you saying around, can you actually share this? Are you actually held here in this space? Because the, the gravity of the, of the, of the shifting inside of you could, could white women hold that? Right. And right. And I haven't seen that too often. I was going to ask too often. ever. It's happened a few times. I will say that it has, it definitely has, but there's still, there's still the intricacies of that, that I have to work through. And I don't know if that's something that I can have someone else work through with me. You know what I mean? Those are the things that I keep to myself. And I feel like in my practices, that's very sacred for me to be going into the depths of my shadow and understanding why do I feel like this when I'm having this type of experience where everybody else is smiling and, you know, celebrating. And I'm over here and I'm listening to my ancestors. They're like, because of what we went through, you know, what we went through, we went through a lot. My family, both sides, uh, maternal and paternal side are from Louisiana. And I'm just like, that's heavy. <laughs> I'm like, that's heavy going to Louisiana. And more so recently in 2020 or 2019, when I became more uh, susceptible to my psychic gifts and really tuning into that, I went into those spaces and I wanted to connect with my family members. And even, you know, in those spaces, I can feel the harm that's been done without even saying anything, without even saying anything. I, I usually, when I go out somewhere new, I want to hug a tree. These trees, I can't hug them because of the history that's held on this land in America specifically. And people are like, you know, it wasn't that long ago. People should get over it. How could someone get over that? How could someone get over that? And I've worked on this for years. Years of my life, I faced these types of reflections and refinements and remember that my DNA is royalty, you know, and claim that sovereignty for myself. Yes. But when it comes to spiritual space or being held by others in spaces that are predominantly white, you don't know. You just really don't know what's going to be happening because I have been spiritually attacked by people who are holding space for me. You know what I mean? And then like, where, where do I go from there? Cause now I'm doing double the work because I'm dealing with your shadow on top of mine. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Does it not make sense? Um, it don't make just... sense, but it makes dollars. And that's why those things exist. And those are, those are the legacies that need to be deconstructed and decolonized. That's right. You know, let, let's speak to what you said, the trees, you know, for, mm. for those that can't see what's being said in plain sight, the amount of bodies, black bodies, children's bodies, women's bodies, black men's bodies that have been hung from trees and publicly celebrated in this capacity by white people and white people would celebrate and create picnics around this. And this is not a light thing because it's in a recent history that whiteness wants to erase and pretend didn't happen and doesn't live in our collective memory, both in the mm -hmm. white body and the black body. And what, what language Jamaica is bringing here is in the shadow of my personal body or the shadow of her personal body, but also in our collective shadow. So when you're doing look into Google shadow work and what that means, it's unpacking personal darkness that's like living in our in our unconscious operating. And I'm, I'm pausing on that a little so that 
we can feel the gravity of everything you've just brought us in the sense that when you're doing the work of shadow work alone, it's hard. But when you're a black woman doing shadow work in the environment of white people, you're double taking. Can I really unpack? Because you're actually still in high alert mode. It's a state of vigilance. And the yes. more I've learned about trauma, the as growing up in a cult, not a com spiritual community, most of my life, I called it a spiritual community, but it was a cult. Right. And when you can call something what it is, we can start breaking it apart. And so that's what yes. I hear you saying is your willingness yes. to be, you keep referring to like, you're doing your work. But what I hear is the collective gaslighting that happens to any black woman or indigenous woman that enters into a, quote, wellness space in today's day and age, because it's basically your wisdom repackaged, remonetized, delivered back and violating you, not just for that repurposing, but violating as if you are wrong for your expression of what comes out when you're willing to do the shadow work. Mm. that part Ooh, nailed it nailed it that's yeah that's that's a thing that's a thing and another thing that I can speak on to connect to that dot is you know since we've met when I met you in 2018 I was going through rapid transformations rapid upgrades mentally spiritually physically like my whole life was getting shape-shifted. And I'm extremely grateful because in that space and time, I did connect with my ancestors and they did give me guidance on how to hold and facilitate spaces and open these spaces. And since 2018, that's the work that I've been doing. And back in that timeline, I started hosting women's circles because my work is with the divine feminine. And I would call these gatherings goddess gatherings. And then I also called them sacred sistar gatherings. Fast forward to, let's say, the pandemic time, 2020. And, you know, in that space, I was still very young and na naive to my business. Like my spiritual practice is my business. And I have to prioritize keeping gatekeeping my sacredness of my business, which now I'm more aware of. and because of this situation where I see another sister who would come to the circle, start hosting these gatherings. I would host mine and do them donation-based because I wanted people to come and experience what they needed to experience. It didn't matter if you had the money or if you had this or that. I taught people energy exchange, regardless if they had monetary need. But then I see another person going from the circle and they're leading these sacred sister gatherings. And then, you know, the karma of that woman expounded too. And now a white woman takes it and takes it on a larger scale. And it's highly popular, same name. And I, I try not to shame myself for why didn't I prioritize taking ownership of something that I created with my mind? Why didn't I prioritize that? And now someone is capitalizing on experiences that I've been doing for years. And they're just now opening it up and sharing all the pretty parts. I don't record my ceremonies because people are going through some deep work. You know, I mean, you can't really share that sometimes. That type of stuff is supposed to be held for the people that were in the ceremony space. But just because people have 
the technology and the finances to invest in these things and make sure it's documented in a certain way, it's broadcasted and monopolized upon. And it's like, damn. Sheesh. We're talking about your intellectual property. That's exploitation? Yes. That's what exploitation feels like? Yes. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. My ancestors have gone through enough of that, you know? And it's my duty to make sure that doesn't happen anymore as much as I can by taking ownership of what comes from me, you know, and taking ownership of the medicine that I come with and making sure when I am entering these predominantly white spaces, how can I get more brown people up in here? That's my agenda. How can I see more black and brown people in this experience where they can receive the same medicine and these tools You know what I mean? So when I'm going into spaces and I'm going into a yoga studio, I'm asking, do you guys do scholarships for black and brown and indigenous people? You know, because we're teaching a sacred practice and, you know, we're playing Miley Cyrus and whatever, whatnot. And it's a great practice. It is. But are we giving the credit where it's due and really taking acknowledgement of where these things are originating and uplifting the places that they came from. You know, if you take something, which people do, people take things all the damn time. If you take something, at least prioritize you giving the awareness of where you got that from and where it's coming from as you're re-understanding it instead of regurgitating and making it this pretty shaped bow of here's your experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's almost like that, 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 that the more I'm looking and, and researching and history, I read to context, you know, the stealing of intellectual property as what you're talking about. Um, it's like, it's a feature of whiteness. Hmm. It's like, wow. It's almost like it's so built into colonization that we can take something and think it's a bright idea of our own, but not acknowledge that we saw it somewhere else. Right. We went to Peru. Somewhere else. We went to South America. And and now what? What do you do with that responsibility? What do you do with that awareness? Do you keep going and exploiting or do you honor it? You know, because these things have to be preserved when we rape the land or rape our resources, then nobody has access. And that's going to be a scary situation if we don't have access to the tools that are beneficial and keeping them in hands that are going to protect these things. You know what I mean? Because they're powerful. It's powerful stuff. And people are just playing around and, oh, I'm a witch. And da 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 And we're running out of sage. <laughs> and, and because of fucking Urban Outfitters making spiritual little packaged bullshit. <laughs> like, that's a thing, what you're saying right now? Like, we're running out of sage because of the way it's being monetized? It, and yeah, it's, and extracted. Yes. It, it's been it's been limited for a while now. And people, indigenous people are like, hey, use other herbs, use other herbs, use other tools. Mm. You could get the same effects. You don't have to use what we've been using. You don't have to take all of it. If you're going to take something, can you replenish it? If you're making money off of something, can you replenish it? Can you donate it? Can you create a charity? Can you open up spaces that will highlight these voices and these people who have been working with this stuff? Or is it just personal gain? And Mm. that just doesn't feel like that's the true collective mission. And I don't think that's people's intentions, but 
their ignorance is leading it in that direction, you know? Yeah, that it's not the intention, it's the impact. What's the result? And are you yes. in this game long enough for the result? Or are you just riding a trend of the next latest, greatest thing? Yes. Which is just more extraction. Because like what you're saying, it's rebirthing something as if it's new, which is classic colonizing capitalistic um, dominator culture. Yes. The goddess and language, the goddess worlds, the that's oof, that infinite one eye roll. Like, I kind of eye infinite, roll. Yes, infinite eye. Well said. Yeah. Well said. I try to, you Sacred know. Sacred sexuality space has got to be like that too. Like, extra. oh man, don't even get me started on that. Don't even get me started on that. I had a Tantra teacher here in Arizona, Tempe, and I was going to her events and I was inviting others and making her space very active. And this is something where I was feeling the exploitation of my energy in a, in a sense. And I was like, dang, okay. And I'm going to these spaces. I'm receiving the medicine. I'm getting all the juice, the yum. I'm learning about myself and I'm activating my tantric awareness, you know, and coming into that state of a consciousness. And when I, I told this woman, there was a time she invited me to a ceremony and I couldn't attend because life's lifing. You don't know what's going on in my life. I don't need to explain that to you either. It's not really your business. If you're my practitioner and you're holding space, that's what you do. And if I say I'm not attending, I'm not attending. But instead, what she decided was to take me saying that I'm not attending her event and to project onto me and say, oh, I thought you were coming. You were supposed to be bringing people. Da -da 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 -da. Whoa, what the fuck? what absolutely not i hmm. think the fuck not my ancestors are like the audacity the audacity for you to think like you're gonna gain monetary gain uh egoic gain so black and brown people or whoever i bring with me can be exploited make that one click it didn't click to me and i've had that happen in a few instances where someone would open up their space and allow me to use the space for me to host the ceremonies or do my artistic projects and i'm mm -hmm. doing all the work all the labor and then they're like where's mine where's my cut what did you do you didn't do anything and why did you open the space without communicating these boundaries in the first place and then having these um unsolicited expectations of someone and then you're upset and you're calling me a bitch because I didn't let you cross my boundaries and I wasn't going to allow you to exploit me that that's some stuff that's some stuff that I've experienced in these spaces that are predominantly white white mm -hmm. and just colonizing and I'm just like what yes. you you move like this you move like this with everyone because I don't think you would treat everyone like this but I noticed it and I paid attention because energe energetically, I feel when someone's trying to leech off of me or mm. get whatever they can gain. Or when people say the word, like, I want to pick your brain, that sets me off. That sets me off. Why do you want to pick my brain? That's not something for you. That's not your property. That's not your access. You don't have access to that. If I choose to share with you something, that's because I felt you were worthy of connecting with me in that way. Otherwise, no, you're not picking my brain, not for free. You're not going to do that. No, That's called not. consulting. Thank you very yeah. much. I'm like, you want to consult with me? You can book it. And if I don't see a deposit, why are we talking? 
don't even come at me in that direction. And I've had, yeah, I've had some weird instances of that nature where people are projecting their shit. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the one. My ancestors don't play that. They will cut it off in a heartbeat. Same thing in the artist industry. I was Mm. working at a salon and um, at the time I had a friend who was living with me and I was her doula. And for people who don't know, doula is basically like a sacred spiritual midwife to help the mother and the parents move through the birthing cycle. And so I was her doula and she decided, my friend decided to have a home birth and the home birth ended up being a stillbirth, which was extremely heavy. And at the time I'm working at an all white salon, predominantly white. And I post on my Instagram of this experience 30 days after the actual thing, like later on after it's already happened and I've been grieving in silence. I haven't shared this with anybody. And I make a post and I'm talking about the death, the experience, the birth and all of that. And this is coming up with the comfort of white people at the expense of my grieving, you know, and the owner of the salon and I guess other stylists at the salon were talking behind my back about, oh, why is she posting that? That's not very professional. Death is not professional. It's not meant to be professional. Everybody is experiencing death. And if somebody's experiencing death, you're going to sit up there and talk behind their back and gossip instead of checking on me and seeing how I'm doing. Oh, it triggered you because you just whatever your baby's alive. This person, this brown woman just had a child be born, stillbirth. And I was in that experience with her. And the first things you come to are judgment. And it's like, Mm. and that's when I decided to leave the beauty industry because that doesn't resonate with me. That sounds inhumane to me, you know, to put your put your feelings over somebody else's who was actually in the experience. That's just so like, that doesn't sound just or balanced and things like that. I witnessed over the years and I'm just like, how, how long does that continue? You know, when do those things come to an end? And for me, every day, every day, (laughs) if I can find a way to decolonize my mind, my experience, my body, my spirit, I will find a way. And it takes time and people have to be willing to do it. But I feel as if the timeline that we're in, it's now or never type of deal. And we need to be working towards that as a collective, as black and brown indigenous people, we have to learn how to stand up for ourselves and speak on these things because damn that shit hurt. Damn that shit hurt. And it's not even just my own hurt. It's yes. not okay. And the the personal responsibility that you take on to do, quote, the inner work of facing your own shadow, that there's only so much of that, right? Then it has to go back out to the collective and be like, nah, that's just not okay. It's called abuse. It's called gaslighting. It's called, yes. and and the amount of that normalized gaslighting and spiritual wellness spaces that is predominantly whiteness, but it's it's that itself is the lie. Like why right. is healing and wellness spaces predominantly white? That because part. Because black and brown and indigenous women have been subjugated in these very arenas on purpose. Mm. So that uh, it could be repackaged. Um, 
so that w- white women can be having personal awakenings during this consciousness awakening time. And we ignorantly think that we can just turn around and sell it. Mm. It's wild to see to s- whether it's so, and wild isn't the right word because it's harmful and it's violating and it's sickening. It, it For me, it's metal tasting in my mouth. Mm. Yes. And when you see it, you can't unsee it. That that too. <laughs> that too. And that's for all of us, right? Doesn't matter what body we're in. It's like, whoa, we're conditioned sur- for survival. And when you mm. start doing the kind of work you're talking about, we're unpacking survival patterns to get into free will, to get into choice, or to, to our divine spiritual self. But yes. we're facing, we're meeting that conditioning. And if we're in bodies that have violated or we're in bodies that have been violated or vice versa, these things are the stuff that, quote, comes to the surface, which is why we have to talk about it. Because to pretend that I know your experience is a living lie. It'll never be the case ever. I have to listen to you. And so now looking at wellness places, wow, all the trauma-informed people are white women? Huh? I'm like what what traumas not that you guys don't have traumas but what traumas what traumas and thank you not to not to discredit anybody who's going through their healing journey bring it don't qualify but like what what is the depth of that you know and I really want to bring more awareness to these types of conversations also because it every community they these type of dynamics are eating things alive i've been in the beauty industry i was in the cannabis industry i'm now in the technology industry and all across the board you know it just looks different it's a different place a different face but these things are still happening and it's like what's what's going to be the catalyst or the cathartic break for that to happen for that to be shook up you know what i mean and I feel like having conversations like this is the great start of opening people's minds to what's been going on for years, years, years of time. And it's it's a new time. But when do we when do we have those spaces that are actually going to allow that or hear that pain, hear the voices of black brown indigenous queer people all around you know what I mean all of these different outlets and make sure that these voices have a platform to be heard yeah I'm wondering if you'll go here it's like for white women or white people to do their shadow work it's almost as if white people think they could do quote shadow work and then turn around and teach that to others without actually looking at our white collective shadow of the brutalization of the black and the indigenous body. How is this possible? It just doesn't make any sense. If you know anything about shadow and trauma, trauma informed anything, right? If we're actually doing this work, we can't not do that part. Mm. That's why you No, white people, y'all are already facing it. What I'm saying is you're (laughs) saying to white people, like you just said to me, like, what trauma? Because that's the great question that needs to be asked. Like, it doesn't mean I don't have, like, of course I have individual traumas. Everyone does, right? But 
if we're turning around trying to become the voice of trauma-informed, somatic-based, you know, heal all collective timelines and live from the new consciousness people, like we want to be the expert people in that arena, and we aren't willing to address racialized trauma in the United States of America as white-bodied people? Yeah. Or the erasure of indigenous women? Or the erasure of the... the, uh, you know, foundational Black Americans, the indigenous Black Americans, the African slave, like all of it. And then and then Jim Crow and all the other ways that whiteness infiltrates every single part of life. It's a creepy crawly. Way to bring it light. I gotta laugh about it. I gotta <laughs> I know, laugh about I know. it. <laughs> oh my dang. It, it'd be everywhere. And and it's so ironic if it wasn't so disgusting, humiliating, and violating that once mm. again, white spaces of, are are taken up in these quote healing wellness spaces, or like you're saying, beauty spaces, cannabis spaces. Like name the big expansion of what wellness means in today, right? And it's what it means to decolonize spaces. It means that this work is really decolonizing our own lens in which we're going into these things. Mm. Not the tools we're practicing in and of itself, but the, the entry point in is a colonized lens in. Mm. Yeah, that that legacy, I feel like, is dying out. And I'm grateful because I feel like in my timeline, I feel like I might be able to witness that die out and see a revolution around that lens being shattered, dismantled, disgrunted, you know, the deep, dark and the ugly of all of that, you know, collective uh, shadow experience that we need. We need everyone to see like black, brown white people we have to understand like all the aspects of do we see how we uphold these things how long how long are we going to uphold these things do we see how to move forward and like in the other industries what can we do to have this conversation more and more beyond wellness you know in the day-to-day life how do we uh admit these things like working through microaggressions you know people say some stupid shit yeah i'm wondering you'll give some uh just everyday experiences you go through like i you're really beautiful at using language that is affirmative and um uh claiming your sovereignty in the space that you take up and the importance of that and you also deal with the audacity of of Every day, like you're saying, microaggressions are just things. And I'm wondering if you'll expose us to some of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing that I could think of in particular, hair. It's 2023. I don't know why this conversation still has to be had, but I'm going to have it. Why do people feel like they can touch my hair? Like I'm not in a petting zoo. I know that was a thing once upon a time that Black people were put in petting zoos. And this is something that triggers the fuck out of me. When people go and they touch my crown, you know, you're coming from my head, my information, my intellect, and you're mm. touching me. And I don't have an awareness of who you are, what you got going on. 
where you're coming from. I don't even know if you just digged in your ass and you're coming and touching and invading my personal space or asking, oh, did your hair grow overnight? Come on, be fucking serious. Why are we still joking like that? That's not even funny. It's not even funny asking stupid little shit like that where you're just trying to, you know, because you think it's going to connect. It's not connecting when you're reaching and crossing someone's boundaries. If I just came up to someone and I just touched their face, I bet they would look at me crazy as hell. Crazy as hell, especially if I did that to a white woman. She would flip her shit if I just started pulling in her hair. No. Same thing. Or being in a space where I I do sex work and men are thinking that I'm going to connect with them and they're like, oh, I'm not really transactional. Then why were you taking me out and doing all these things? Weren't you being transactional the whole time? But now when I'm asking for my money and I'm asking for what I want out of this energy exchange, oh, it's an issue. Oh, I didn't think we were, I thought we were just doing this. I thought we were no, this is not a fucking negotiation. This is what it is. And when I'm claiming it and I'm asking you for my needs to be met, then there's a switch up. And it's like, oh, you didn't expect that I was going to stand up for myself. You expected me to be quiet and to <laughs> go with the flow and do all this shit. No, yes. I dominate my life in that way by demanding my respect in all spaces and like making sure I claim what I need. This is what I need. You want to you want to work with me? This is what I need from you. You can't show up and meet that standard. We can't connect in that way. You don't have access to me. You don't have the privilege to access my information that I have. If you're not willing to invest, I invest in myself every single day. Why wouldn't you invest in something that you claim that you want so much? Oh, I love, I love what you do. People reach out and like, they want to do things and collaborate and they send me this project and it's nothing near the work that I do. I'm like, I'm an avant-garde freaking editorial artist. And you're asking me to do some basic ass shit for free. Hmm. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. My ancestors did a lot for free. And that's the last thing I'm going to be doing. You know, I've done my free, I've done my service, but when I'm asking for an energy exchange, don't try to gaslight me and make me question my worth because that's not going to work. That's not going to get you to where you want. I just had this guy this morning. I uh, posted in a models group or he posted in a models group. Hey, looking for models to uh, wear my fashion brand or clothing line or whatever. And he decides to call me this morning and he's asking me like what I'm wearing da da da, and asking me uh, what my sizes are and all this other stuff. And asking about my breasts. And I'm like, wait, what? What does that have to do with anything? And this was an indigenous man or Middle Eastern man. And regardless, I think this still connects to whiteness because this is whiteness being upheld through other cultures. You know, it's something that's been stigmatized. And he's deciding to like try to sexualize me. And I'm like, well, are you trying to pay? Is there pay for this project? You want me to model? I've been modeling for five years. I charge. This is my rate. And then when I hung up on him for making a comment on my breast and telling him that that's inappropriate for you to be sexualizing me in this time, and I hang up on him, he messaged me back, fuck you. Mm. Me? Mm. You wish. You wish Uh you could, but you didn't have 
you didn't have the balls to be clear. You were over here trying to steer me in the wrong direction and take me down some path of whatever bullshit you got going on. And I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play with that. Absolutely not. Yes, yes. yes. It, it, yeah, it's just, it's so, I'm guessing the stories you were telling were white women and white men. Some of them, yes. Yeah. Yes, and then except for that last one, that last one, and then that last one, and and just the ways that um, the patterns of behavior, like what what I'm realizing is like what it really means to listen and to learn from Black and Indigenous women is that the things that you're just waking up to are not like just found just because you got them in your consciousness. Hmm. And how, as white people, how we'll wake up. And I think as any new learner, it's easy to do that. But there's almost like a trait of whiteness to Mm. and take it up and then turn around and teach it as if we have to become the expert as the thing that that we're actually barely just tasting. Mm. So to listen to you, it's it's so common that it's everywhere. It's just everywhere. And so to do this level of shadow work and what you're really talking about, you're having to not only do it in yourself while on hypo alert around you to see if these spaces are actually safe enough for you to bring you. Yes. Which over and over again, it sounds like they're not. You bring you and then like that one lady, the time when you couldn't go and you're not bringing you, which when you bring you, you bring you and all what you stand for. Other black and yes. brown women, other ways in which you can create an environment that represents the environments you want to be in. That's an mm-hmm. asset, right? You're an asset. And so you're yes. speaking to all these ways in which people want to not see you as the value you are. Yes. And while that can happen to quote any one of us in the world because of predatory patterns in business and culture and all sorts of things, if we listen to black women and indigenous women, we get to hear and learn how they've been repeatedly over and over and over again, dealing with this in culture, in relationships, in every aspect of life, not just in the last two years that white people have woken up in the last decade. Yes. But the decade before and the decade before, because that's what resilience is. That's what indigenous wisdom is is it's wisdom that has been safe kept. And we heard you talk about that, the gatekeeping Mm -hmm. where wisdom is held sacred because when colonization started coming in, there was wisdom that was happening on the planet enough to safe keep certain types of knowledge and wisdom. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm hearing all that in what you're bringing up in that your lived experience is having to literally what feels like wading through the muck of everyday gaslighting just because you're a black woman. They would never come up to anybody else and touch their head the way they touch black women's head. Why? That's not unique to the generation of Jamaica. It's yeah. it's actually very culturally, historically real because black women's bodies were picked at. Literally. So when you <laughs> and, yes. And still, and still oh. Oh, and still, I just saw an article this morning. I have this woman, um, the sacred birth doula, and she was sharing that they would like to keep 
black women's bodies around after being brain dead from dying of giving childbirth so they can be a surrogate for some other couple, which I'm assuming would be a white couple, you know, who can pay for a surrogate. And they want to sterilize, they're sterilizing people right now, women who are imprisoned, sterilizing black women so they have no reproductive system or taking our uterus out and placing it somewhere on the black market. What? That's today. I got that information like today, 24 hours ago, not even that long ago, you know? And I'm like, that has been going on, you know? It's not new. It's just, but it's now out there, you know? It's been happening. And that's so, it's scary. It's scary. And and it's in the stories of your family, you know, you talked about yes. both sides of your family in Louisiana and, you know, I, I want to just slow it down here and let us feel this. It's like when we say listen to black women, they have stories and then their stories and then their stories. And how does wisdom get passed on when the environment around you is the predator? when the government is the predator, when all the environments around you, when there is no safe haven. Well, indigenous people know that, you know, native to to Turtle Island, black people know this, not, you know, even if you didn't study it, you know it in your bones because the legacy of the memories that are passed down through your families, there is an erasure and it almost feels like it's a whiteness amnesia that almost wants to jump to jump to collective healing without that acknowledgement about the groundwork about the groundwork that part that part cannot be skipped you can't just go and i think you know a few years ago you spoke to me on that you were speaking about we were uh it was in regards to like kundalini and you're like telling me you know, you can't really ascend if you don't go into the lower chakras. And I really took that information serious. And I went into my lower chakras. And man, the breakthroughs that I've had going into my solar plexus, going into my sacral, going into my root chakra, that's some of the heaviest shit ever. I'm like, yes, I would love to be love and light, but I am not there yet. My dense body is still aching from lineages of pain like my mom growing up in Louisiana she told me she was like when I was in kindergarten she would have to walk a mile to school and KKK were her neighbors my mom's like in her mid-50s Wow. and she was like they would egg me every day going to school and I'm like I couldn't fathom I couldn't fathom you know and I always say like man if my ancestors sent me back to their timeline I probably would have been murdered because how loud and abruptive I am and the things that I feel like I'm grateful that I'm here in this timeline to do because I can be disruptive. I can share my voice. I can utilize my platforms to educate others and to open up the space to connect those dots. Like these, that just happened. My mom's still alive, you know, and she lived next door to the KKK. I'm like, I couldn't imagine. And on my one of my I think my 15th birthday, the movie Django came out and we lived in North Phoenix, which is predominantly white. 
And every every birthday I would go to the movies because my birthday's on Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, let's go see this movie. And for me, in my ignorance, I'm 15 years old. I'm like, yeah, let's go see this movie. It's a slave movie. My mom was so fucking triggered. It was so bad. She was so pissed with me specifically because she's like you got me in this fucking movie theater with all these fucking white people laughing at fucking slavery and shit when that wasn't that long ago and I'm like I I have nothing to say because I'm like I didn't think of that I didn't put I didn't put that into perspective that she had to deal with something that close that's really close to her not that far and I put her in a space where she's vulnerable and we're watching this movie and everybody in the space is predominantly white and it's for entertainment because that's Mm. all they want to show us in the media is us being enslaved. And that's, that's the media. That's the artistic realm. That's the type of movies that get screened, you know, predominantly when they're broadcasting to black and brown people, us getting murdered over and over and over and over again. And that type of trauma porn it's yes. just so, it's so deeply like ingrained, like people don't even notice, like we're having to watch black and brown bodies get murdered almost every day because it's yeah. trending, another hashtag, another person, another cop thing. And it's like, I am I had to step away from being in the activist community because when I was in high school, that's where my head was. I was really for the social justice and I want to stand for that. And I would go to these protests and it gets to a point where I'm like, I'm getting tear gas. I'm getting pepper sprayed to advocate. And I had to choose. I'm like, am I going to be that person who's on the front line to lose my life over this type of message? And my spirit was like, you can't do that. You have to step back. You have to step back and go at it from a different angle. And that's why I did go into my spiritual activism, my sexual activism, my pleasure activism, and taking ownership of the body that I was gifted in. I can't I can't change my body. I can't change my hair. I can. I mean, if I wanted to pay for it, those things can happen. But for as long as I'm here, these are what I'm gifted with. And I might as well take the initiative to honor it as much as I can keep those things honorable because people weren't seeing that people didn't understand that or maybe they did and that's why black and black bodies were sold in the first place in slave trades because they did see the value they did see how hard we work they did see how smart we work together but then they started to separate us and endorse drugs and put all these things in the communities and then we have the freaking we have all these freaking laws in place that are separating families and keeping us dissociative and keeping us trapped in a rat race and not able to see we have gifts we are very spiritually inclined we're very connected to the earth to the sun to all of these things that are just natural to us and if we weren't able to step out of that space and like step back we never get to see that and that's why my work here within the next couple of years is prioritizing like how can I give back to neighborhoods where I grew up in how can I make sure kids like had my type of experience with my mom growing up on really hard drugs. My mom was addicted to crack cocaine. I didn't know what a childhood was like. I had a very fast life. And now my opportunity is to go back and make sure I can wake children up and let them know, hey, you got this. You got this. Don't give up. Keep seeing it through, you know, and be that reflection of a brown woman because we don't have role models who are 
showing these healthy relationships, showing someone break through trauma and be resilient and also be soft and be in the femininity and take ownership of being a dominant feminine woman. And like, who cares? And even if I, and I'm going through this experience where my gender, I feel like as non-conforming and I'm like, oh, am I non-binary? And I'm mm. expressing my queerness more. And I'm like, how do I stand up for those people? How do I stand up for my people who are black and brown and trans? Like, you know, and speak with them more and make sure that they have what they need because these spaces haven't catered to those people. Yes. They haven't looked into the people who are overcoming these hard drug addictions. You know what I mean? Or overcoming these transitionings of their body and learning how to maintain in society without feeling harmed or shamed, you know? Yeah. So I'm really mm, so potent. Woo! Is <laughs> right. I'm like sweating from that. Oh, well, it's just fire, you know, it's coming out of you. It's just pure, it's pure gold and fire. And and how do we continually transform and ask better questions to see beyond the veils of our own indoctrination? And the amount of personal responsibility you've taken is commendable. And the time is now, as you said, no, these things are not okay. White people need to take far more responsibility than we're taking. And you're just doing beautiful work. I just wanted to say it's just potent and powerful. Um, it's humbling to hear that the time I was teaching, that it's a really important teaching that like what you spoke up. When I was teaching Kundalini Yoga, I was in my own reclamation of my sexuality and I had come from so much infidelity and lies and deceit. And I knew that that deceit lived in my historical story, um, but I didn't want to throw out all of this ancient wisdom quote um, mm -hmm. that I thought I had come from. And so that rooting, that teaching that says, no, we cannot ignore our lower energy centers, right? The real ascendance is descending. And yes. I knew at the time I was distilling the lies from the truth, um, mm. but I didn't have any idea that it was a cult and the sadistic abuse that was also taking place within the culture itself and within the lineage that calls itself Kundalini Yoga. So I just want to preface that for, for people listening. It's so powerful to hear what you're saying, Jamaica, when you're saying that that catalyst for you to let yourself go into your somatic body experience because yes. instead of believing the conditioning lie externally that says oh i have to ascend into the higher realm of myself it's like no no our real root our real work is to go into the roots and yes. you you saying that and witnessing that the your connection to your own embodied truth of what that means of your pathway of what that means, of your listening to your ancestry, because my own path of, of teaching that and realizing I had no idea the dark roots of whiteness mm -hmm. that was still in me, even though mm -hmm. I had that to say, like I was willing to say that and, and dig in, but I had no idea it would be four more years of before I could even recognize the whiteness in my own patterns of behavior as mm -hmm. a teacher of yoga. Mm. or a teacher of of conscious sexuality or any of these things I, I really a teacher of shadow work how can one call themselves a shadow worker and be in a white body and not address racialized trauma it's in fucking possible mm. and yet we're seeing it every day in in what's quote wellness communities 
and normalized. Normalized. And so your willingness to do your own work and then to use your inner fire to come out with the stuff that's coming out of your being, your energetics in forms of boundary setting, knowing your value, knowing your space, knowing that, yeah, you don't get to come cherry pick off of anything anymore, you know? And while that may be historically normalized, it's never been okay. Yes. You speaking to how your ancestors speak through you and speak to how environments um, aren't good and why situations are taking place. And yet a conscious part of you wants to make it okay, wants to adapt and pretzel and do all these things that quote conditioning has mm. taught you and trained you, whether it's through your mother or her mother or whatever the teachings, whether conscious or unconscious live in your body that says, uh, nope, to be safe. We can't say that. Nope, to be safe. We can't do that. And mm -hmm. I'm hearing you quite literally go through a lived experience of keep showing up to your radical self and yes. see that conditioning pattern that's happening all the time just by being in a black woman's body, both soft and potent in your purpose, like that masculine mm -hmm. and that feminine, like all of this in your embodied self, you show, you, you share and, and it's bright and it's beautiful and it's, it's um it's inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh. Any last things you want to say to white people? Um yeah. White people get your shit together and pay some reparations, damn it. And I mean that shit. <laughs> I mean that shit. And give some land back while y'all here buying land and shit. Give some land back to people who are actually going to take care of it cuz you know, even agriculturally we need to stop raping the land of her resources. That's really what we got to get up into. So reparations, make them your friend. It is Black History Month. Feel free to cash out all the Black people in your life. Send them ask, some money. Tell us what that means. <laughs> what does re reparations mean in an everyday life experience? Because obviously that the conversation is reparations on a national level. But what about an everyday activism, pleasure activism? cash at people you know i mean like what's a yep. better what's a frame that you want to give to that you know if you are putting together events and you're putting together all these things or you're buying land and stuff incorporate the black and brown and indigenous people like hire us you know don't just ask us to work for free hire us pay our rates double that shift if you can if you will and you know if you do have black and brown people in your life check on them you know see how you can give back to them and hold hold that space that's a form of reparations too see what you can do because every person needs something different but that may be financial and i think black and brown people we could always use some additional resources 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 we deserve resources. As much as we give resources, we give, you know, to a lot of these things, we need those back so we can keep regenerating. If you guys are going to take and trend and profit, give it back. Make a charity, damn it. I don't care how you do it. You could do it through cash app and random people. Put up on your story. Hey, I'm cash app and every black person that messaged me today, cash app them. I've had people who are artists do stuff like that, you know. Just drop your cash tag. I'm going to send you something that works. That's so appreciated. That's so valuable. Just that awareness alone, like 
you do see us. You do hear what we're asking. We say reparations, repay us, repair the relationship of Mm. what we haven't been accounted for. Repay your karmic debts because we did a lot of work and we still have yet to see any of that for us. We're Mm. still barely awakening to where the gift in that is for us. You know what I mean? And if you have an abundance mindset, you have an abundance mindset, share that with black and brown and indigenous people and make them well aware that you can take care of them by offering monetary and financial offerings to their business. You see a black and brown person, you want to help somebody, drop a freaking startup, drop a GoFundMe and drop a bunch of money in their bank account for their business. Something like that along those lines. It doesn't it doesn't have to be grand, it doesn't have to be large, but if you got it like that and you're flexing like you got it and you're like I'm in Costa Rica on this 10-day retreat. I just had 16 people pay $6,000 each. How many scholarships can you give away for free? Help brown and indigenous people get into these spaces so they can receive the healing they need. You know what I mean? When I'm seeing these retreats and it's only white women, come on now. Mm. Come on now. You You need to open up the diversity. And that's a way of being, uh, participant in reparations today, sharing the resources that are available that you have access to and making those available to Black, Brown, and Indigenous people. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, This has sparked something in me, so I can't let you go yet. Um, (laughs) But on on that note, listeners, um, I want you to really rewind and really hear what, what, what Jamaica Carter just went through in terms of ways that, um, financial resources that you have get to be recycled into um, everyday creators land. You know, it's a form of stewardship. And while you might have a, you know, a, a nonprofit you donate to and it makes you feel fuzzy inside, you really want to be decolonizing your own process of what it means to earn and then what it means to give back and who it mm. really impacts because what I heard so much of what you're saying is the everyday person right just the the willingness to just like recycle back into followers and people that are your everyday common interactions there's several things that happen one is that energy of the money going out but another one is you're opening up to the possibility that you could learn right that you could learn from a perspective that you obviously don't have because you're not in a black or an indigenous body. And so how do Mm. we open up spaces where we quote, have expert knowledge and can charge X amount, but then how do we open it up so that it's not that colonized space of haves and have me nots. Open up the exclusivity, the exclusivity, Make make things accessible for all, make them accessible for all. And that's something that I've been prioritizing when I host space and I hold ceremonies. And this past year, I became more confident in charging my worth. And I will always tell people, you know, if they reach out and they're like, oh, the ceremony looks beautiful. I don't have the finances right now. That doesn't matter. Make make it available. You know, so I practice teaching them energy exchange. Bring me some toilet paper. Bring me some paper towels, something that we could use in ceremony. Bring some incense, bring some crystals, whatever, you know, bring your intention. Be intentional with these type of things, because that's 
that's the energy exchange. That's how we clear the karmic debt and make it our dharmic checks and balances. Yes. And if one, like what you're saying, has business acumen and they charge X and X and like you're saying, you have it like that and you can drop X into a bank account and fund some some new businesses and new creatives and 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 new opportunities for for black women or, or or indigenous women that hold this wisdom in their bones and and investment it's like a ripple effect in a pond yes. right and yes. so it's such a powerful model that you're offering here or that you're speaking to here but mm-hmm. what it does bring up the texture that it brings up in me is when you said, you know, pay us for the services, you're hosting retreats, pay us to do X, right? Pay us, not these kind of like donation offerings, not a no. love gift, pay I don't, for the service, Yeah, or right? just people who are just doing it like, oh, you're going to get like exposure and da da da, da. Exactly. Exposure. I, exposure doesn't pay my bills. Reciprocity. Exposure doesn't feed me, you know? Like I do want exposure, but I want exposure to my financial abundance. Show me that I'm abundant because you're abundant, right? That's that's how we ripple it. And it's like, don't be afraid to invest in others because you're not the expert. And you you shouldn't be teaching half of these things, but you should call in people who are very much aware and yes. have been doing this work. And not to put people on pedestals, but provide them the space to do their damn thing, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Um. And what comes, again, the texture that comes up is that unless white people are doing some of their own historical uh, knowledge and history of the ways that our whiteness oozes into and colonizes all spaces we touch, um, then what happens easily, I can see, and and I'm wondering if you want to circle up with this, is so a call, uh, uh, let's say a white woman organizer is hosting a wellness space or a retreat or something, and the call gets put out so that they can have some indigenous and black women a part of it. And let's say it's a goddess community of sorts, and they're going to be doing a special ceremony with medicine, plant medicine, and there's going to be some yoga movement, and there's going to be some sacred sexuality being taught, and you're called in to do X and X. And what I could imagine shows up quite fast is the way that that white women and white organizers want to control the way that you use and add value to the space as if the way they want you to do it is the right way. Um, and it's so like how, it's the only way or something. Way, yes. And so I'm wondering if you can talk because right when you said hire us. I could imagine that there are well-meaning white people and white organizers that that hire and then very quickly try to regulate your body, your voice, your knowledge, your wisdom, which only adds to the audacity of the original non-ask. Yes. Oof. Yeah, I have a specific situation where I was having a rough time with my mother and I had nowhere to stay. So I reached out to this woman that I knew was connected in the spiritual community. And I thought, you know, let me see if she has a room to rent. This is where I need to go right now. And at this time I was in a abusive relationship, experiencing domestic violence in her home. And this was something that I was facing behind closed doors, but I know this woman 
you know, was knowing of these things that were happening because, you know, I would share with her, not to the full depth of extent, but I would share with her these things. And, you know, I'm trying to get back on my feet. It was the pandemic. I'm trying to make money figure out new sources of income and how I can offer back. So I'm like, I, I would love to host ceremony space. And in her house, there was enough space for me to do so. So I started leading ceremonies. Never was she ever in participant. Never was she ever in, you know, like sharing of the events and all these things. You know, I put in all that labor, all that work. I'm making my flyers. I'm putting all the details together. I'm hosting and facilitating this whole thing by myself. And when it comes to us doing another project and I'm doing the flyer and you're critiquing and you pit your, uh, what is it? Nitpicking the details of what I put out there because this is what I'm sharing for my creativity. And you want to make it your own without contributing much of anything. And I feel like, and experiencing things of that nature, it's like, hmm, like, did you really, did you even really want to help? What was the intention behind your help? So you can just take from my life force energy because you're running out, because you're running out of your youth, because you're not using your power, because you don't want to show up for yourself. And you see somebody who is trying to figure that out, but you want to manipulate the situation and then you know, use my mother wounds against me and mm. speak to me out of term and just disrespect me blatantly and then put on this whole act like, oh, I'm so sorry, getting on your hands and knees, get getting on her hands and knees, begging me and pleading me, oh, I'm sorry, beg for my forgiveness. Just acting, acting. I'm like, take your fucking tears, your white tears and mm. bottle that shit up because I don't believe you feel sorry for what you did at all you knew exactly what you were doing you knew what damage it would cause if you said what you said you knew how you were acting towards me uh projecting holding all your energy in and just throwing psychic shots at me you think i don't feel that shit you think i don't feel that shit i feel that shit and then i'm walking around like damn what's up with everybody in the house oh because you have a fucking attitude and you can't speak up for yourself and ask for support to get you where you need to be or what just like jealousy or I don't even know what to call that like greed jealousy and greed and envy and not really like I want to support you but I'm only gonna let you get this far ahead of me because if you get ahead of me then I know you're gonna be way too powerful if you're in your full power so I'm gonna have to stop you right there what insane Mm. insane and that that's definitely a dynamic that I've witnessed a few times in different instances, different spaces. And I'm like, Oh no, Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. I don't like the exploitation. That don't work for me. Doesn't work for me at all. Yeah. Well said, well said. Um, You know, it's a white woman behavior that white women do with each other. Um, But what I find is more insidious because when you really admit to what's happening when it comes to regu- regulating and regulate relegating, relegating and regulating the black or indigenous woman's body, um, there is an entitlement that shows up that's different than the way white women do it to white women. There's the same mm. competition and judgment and projection, but there's an extra level of entitlement. And that's so historical. And it's one of the reasons why. I'm noticing whiteness is so violating in wellness spaces is because 
it's it it's such a blindness. It's like a blind side for white women to not even see that their very teaching of this embodied trauma somatic indigenous wisdom is the damn violation. Um, and then over and over again, not noticing the exceptionalism around the unconscious entitlement to how black women get to show up. It's what they get to say, not say, do not do, look like with this deep level of envy, but on a historical background of pure privilege and entitlement and to a level that white people don't fully get. Like as a black woman, you know this, you come from Louisiana family and, and not all, I, I want to just admit, not all black and brown people will know their family history. Some might be, you know, removed from their family history. So let's not assume that everybody has family stories, but you said you did, you mentioned my families are from Louisiana and just to have that knowing means that it comes with kind of a tidal wave of memory that's in the historical body that's of non-safety and whiteness. And white people are operating as if we have this weird collective amnesia that our parents didn't have that. Right. We didn't have the collective memory of that exclusion or that privilege. I mean, of course, I don't because I'm this age, but Mm. like your age, like if you're a young age, right? But a generation ago and then a generation ago, well, that's not very far ago. We're talking about heavy segregation in each city, then Jim Crow. I mean, just a generation back, folks. So this white amnesia around, can't we all just love each other? And then we don't realize our microaggressions are is our fear responses. Our Mm. unconscious fear responses are rooted in historical violations of whiteness on the black body. Mm. Yes. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. (laughs) (laughs) The tiniest violin. (laughs) It's so bad. And I, I, and I'm, everything you've brought is just, is so powerful. And a lot of it doesn't land in white consciousness until we do a little research to realize the gravity of what it means uh, of what our what your parents went through on a tra- traumatic level of what they saw and witnessed and then her mm. parents what they saw and witnessed um it's it's yeah it's heavy so your a doozy <laughs> ooh so the just the, the willingness of black people to call to do what's called shadow work right it's like y'all have already always been doing this it's you know alchemizing collective trauma and then recreating from that space but what i'm yes. saying is to actually be who you are you know to claiming a space in in ways that says oh you think i have to be this way i'm going to be this way i'm going to be all of me and just like all the ways that that shows up whether it's making spaces safer for trans or watching your own queer energy show up or just all the ways identity binds and frees us simultaneously um yes so your rawness and your realness and your your willingness to take on so much personally and realize yep i'm going to put this right back out into the communities it belongs in because this is not personal this is very very collective and yes. your work matters and it's brilliant and all the ways that we can seed back into work like yours and other indigenous black women and communities that 
um, are all around us. You know, don't take up the big organization that you send in your donations. Send it to a creator. Send it to a person. Send it, send it to anybody. Anybody. You see somebody. somebody crowdfunding? You see someone, people are always posting videos or pictures. This person needs this. This person needs this. Support. If you got it, send it. Send yes. it. Yes. And start paying attention to some of these conversations. There are new conversations that are old conversations that have been going on around, you know, new forms of, of uh, community uh, recirculation economies and all the ways that this is new language to describe what indigenous people have always been talking about when we're talking about stewards of the land. And why yes. there isn't privatization and why there isn't ownership. And what does it mean to take our private resources and put it into trusts that outlive our legacies? You know, there is legal language for this and there is indigenous language for this. And then there's new trendy language for this. So it's like do a little digging and call in indigenous circles of people that have been doing this for decades because the language is there. You're not reinventing yeah. anything. You're not coming up with a brand new thing just because your consciousness woke up to it in 2022 in the pandemic. Um, it's not new, you know, and so call in the wisdom that's here and fund that. I always think about that when it comes to nonprofits. It's like, you know, we have a transformative experience and then we want to start our own nonprofit. But it's like, whoa, there's all these amazing organizations in the field doing everyday work. Start an organization that funds them. Yes. You know, don't reinvent the wheel of helping black and brown people. Black and brown people are helping themselves fund, you know, and a lot of them don't want our funds. So it's not about fund them. It's fund things that are already in existence that already have brilliance in them it's not about white money funding things it's not it's about us waking up to the fact that we have stolen resources and stolen wisdom and stolen land that we call our own and what does it mean i don't fully have the language for it i just know it's it these conversations are existing at local levels and at very very high levels and get in on the conversation learn the lingo and reinvest back into the places because it wasn't our resources to begin with. Yes. Sister speaks through me. Yes. Tell us yes. about your song as we wrap up. I always like a guest to bring a song that represents them or this episode. And although we can't play it for full copyright reasons, we do have a playlist and the playlist yes. is in the show notes. So you can click on the link and listen to the episodes. Uh, the song that I chose today um the reason I chose this song is because I was starting my morning with some jazz and I just really felt the beauty and the chaos and the magic of the scatteredness that jazz elements give and I feel like that's how my life is I feel like it's very ecstatic there's highs highs there's low lows and I chose the song Recollection by Miles Davis and the imagery for the album art on that cover is a half white face with like red sparkles on their face or it looks like blood to me. And then there's the other half that's a black face and then they have like white glistening on them. And I chose that mainly for the imagery um, of the song and what I felt, what I felt was important to this conversation. 
seeing that duality of a white and a black face, I really thought about the light and the shadow aspects of the human experience. And then with the white face having the red, I just thought of the blood of my ancestors on the face of white people. And then for the white, the black face with the sweat or the tears, it just felt like that's the sweat and the tears that we've put into our existence and what we've had to work through. And the song title, Recollection, Yeah, I just feel like it's been my main mission to remember who I am and to recollect the parts of myself that have been scattered and dismantled and have Mm. been shamed or judged and ridiculed. And for me to remember my beauty and to remember my interconnected interconnectedness to all, to everyone, and really work through remembering that I am here to teach people and to shine light on these hard subjects. And I do get to soften and, you know, that might harm or hurt some people's feelings, but that is the memory of what I got to work through is the recollection of remembering that my ancestors sent me here to be a voice and shout out to my father who's deceased Mm. and passed away. I really feel his presence in this conversation. Thank you for being here, dad. And just helping me communicate effectively and clearly and not speak from a place of being a victim, but speak from a place of, I am a victor because I remember who I am and I recollect myself every single day. So that's why I chose that. (laughs) Yes. Well said. Recollections, recollecting. I just love it. Um, by Miles Davis. Here we go. sure to listen to the full song over on the uncomfortable conversations on whiteness playlist and i want to say that the song gets so wild and chaotic and it was so awesome i was listening to it before we started and um it did remind me of like a little jimi hendrix and and then you added in the sophistication of the jazz and, and miles davis and all these just different elements and i was like oh this is so psychedelic i totally know she's tripped out on this and um <laughs> But I, I have really, I, I just, I appreciated it. And I, I have the, the more I've understood my trauma-informed journey as a cult survivor, the more I've been able to properly see the violations, the perpetual violations of collective conditioning of whiteness. And I've been able to have such deep gratitude and appreciation for Black art. Hmm. Um different than my appreciation of it prior where I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't fully understand it from a trauma-informed place of what it really meant for these artists to be creating this art through these passages of time when their own families and everyday people around themselves and the world was, was literally um, terrorizing 
And yet mm. art is coming forth, new art, mm. new creation. New, so it's like so much of what you brought here represents that. It's how that is the nature of being the gods and goddesses of being creators, right? Is no matter the terror, no matter you remember, you recollect who you are and you just, and you keep showing back up in new generations and the ancestors do speak. And Mm. we lose as white people because we've extracted this knowledge and we're not grounding it back to where it's from. Um, We've always lost. It's the nature of, of colonization. Um, and, and what it really means to extract culture, um, and extract bodies and extract wisdom and extract nature. We dis, we lose our own nature. Mm. And you really brought us so many elements of your own process to that. Um, and also just the boundaries that you hold, um, now more than ever around, um, your value. And I just want to commend you. And I also just want to say, um, it's brilliant to witness, and I look forward to um, amplifying and and hearing all the the ways that you bring this into the world even more. Thank you, sister. Thank you, thank you, Gurunisha. Thank you for this juicy conversation and divine timing with that Leo full moon. I was like, ooh, my throat chakra opened up yesterday. So thank you for amplifying my voice and allowing me the space to do some, I feel like I just did a lot of deep work right now in this conversation alone. I feel like my energy is very high. I'm going to have to go ground afterwards. And I, I feel the healing and I'm really grateful for this space to express the things that have burdened me and to release them and transmute them in a way that is informative and transformational for all that engage and listen with it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you and um, uplift everything you're doing. I just really appreciate uh, your patience and our and my own collective apology as a white person um, for just the perpetual gaslighting that you endure um, by being by being, and um, and that in our lifetime that this will end, um, that we will stand and continue using our voices as such. Whew, this was a doozy. Let's go ground ourselves, folks, and never underestimate the power of listening. Um, I can't agree more that conversations like this stir up so much in me. It frees up, you know, held, stored memory that as a, both collective and personally, family, religion, lineage, all the ways which our body holds information for our own survival. And when we're safe enough, it can let it go. And so the more work we're doing to support our own systems to relearn safety um, in real time, you know, she talked about timelines, what timeline, what decade, Um, we can hold memories of a decade ago, two decades ago, 50 decades ago, and we don't even know. So when we're talking about releasing memories of timelines, it's powerful stuff. Take care of yourself. Um, nurture yourself ground yourself and i don't mean just you and me but all the listeners listening take care of yourself this is um deep work and get a therapist if you don't have one it's really important to to get support um in ways um that we don't even realize we need it so thank you for listening
The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast.